This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper, and I'm out here on the Stone Arch Bridge because we're asking people, what do they think is the oldest building in Minnesota? That's one of the three questions that you voted among your favorites from this year's State Fair episode. The other two are, what is the story behind the Northwest Angle, and how large does a lake need to be to qualify as a lake in Minnesota? And we're going to be talking about all three of those questions with my colleague, Katie Reed. But first, let's talk to people about what they think is the oldest building. No idea. I don't even know where to start. I haven't the slightest, to be honest. <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to start. Some lighthouse in Duluth? I don't even know. I want to say Pillsbury, but I couldn't tell you. I don't know. A building in Stillwater would be my guess. I think it's that little house up on the river here that was built by one of the first residents of Minneapolis. I can't remember the guy's name. The Art Godfrey House? Yeah, yeah. The Landmark Center? Why do you think that building? Uh, it's just a unique building. It's old and beautiful, but it must be not because it's built in the 1900. I want to say like the St. Paul Cathedral or maybe like the Capitol or something like that, but I have a feeling that's probably wrong. I don't think it's the oldest one, but I, it's the only old one I know of. I think it's called like the Sibley House. That's a good guess. How old is Do you know how old that one is? It's 1836. I'd say Fort Snelling. Yes. Really? You were the first person to get this right. Okay, which building at Fort Snelling for bonus credit? Oh, my, come on. How did you think of Fort Snelling? Did you know that? No, I mean, it's just a fort. And so, I mean, if you're coming up here and it's sitting on the Mississippi River, that you're going to build a fort to protect whatever you're doing up here. Right. I mean, yeah. So. And it's 1820. It's the Round Tower at Fort Snelling. Wow, okay. Well, Katie, thanks so much for joining us today. So we had three winning questions from the State Fair. You wrote two of these stories. And so let's just jump into it. We're going to go chronologically here. And both of these stories kind of take place before there is a Minnesota, before there's a territory, before there's a state. So let's just get rid of the idea that there is a state of Minnesota at this point. So first, we're going to have to go back to the 18th century. And this is about the Northwest Angle, which is that little chimney that's still on the state now. It's the top of the state. And it's this little part of the state that if you want to get there by land, you actually have to go into Canada to get back into the U.S. to go to this part of Minnesota. So where do we begin when we start to describe the Northwest Angle? What this history? Where does this story begin? It begins in 1783 because the United States and Great Britain were still kind of hammering out where the border of the countries would be between Canada and the United States after the War of Independence. Mm -hmm. So they decided that the northern border would go through waterways from Lake Superior to Lake of the Woods and then touch the northwestern tip of Lake of the Woods and then go straight due west from there to the Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Only problem was the Mississippi was not due west of Lake of the Woods. They were negotiating based on a faulty 1755 map back in the early days before mapping was quite complete of that area. And the Mississippi actually starts 150 miles south of Lake of the Woods. And we've talked about this on a previous episode, that there was all this sort of exploration happening to find the source of the Mississippi. So there's obviously some clarification that goes on after the Treaty of 1783. And so they realize we got to sort of fix this when they when it 
comes around to the Louisiana Purchase time, and now we're defining more of the United States, they realize they got to sort of fix this issue. So what do they land on as a better way to define the rest of what's now Minnesota? So that's jumping ahead to 1818 when they were negotiating over the boundaries of the Louisiana Purchase, which actually did extend up that far into the northern part of the United States. So the countries agreed to set the border at the 49th parallel. That was somewhat south of the northwest tip of Lake of the Woods. So they decided to just draw a vertical line basically from the 49th parallel up to that tip of the lake Mm -hmm. and have that be the northern boundary. And that's what makes that little chimney at the top of Minnesota. And in the process created the northernmost point in the contiguous United States, which is still there today, obviously, northwest angle. And that's why I guess when you look at a map, sort of the eastern boundary of Minnesota, it's definitely following waterways and it's just naturally looking like a waterway. And then the western part of the boundary is like this flat line because that's actually just like a, you know, point of a longitude latitude on a map, essentially. Exactly. It just shoots straight west from there. Okay, so now, uh, so you just talked about 1818. So we only have to jump ahead like two years to our next topic here, which is about the oldest building still standing in the state of Minnesota. So I think when we were working on this story, I mean, one thing we pointed out was that most historic buildings in Minnesota, these are things that came long after European settlement in this area. But the building we're talking about here, the oldest building still standing is way before that. So what's the building? Let's just get out with it at the get-go. It's called the Round Tower at Fort Snelling. Okay. And some people may have been there on a tour or something like that. Yeah, it's pretty distinctive. It's tall, taller than the rest of the fort. Uh, It's 25 feet tall, in fact, with limestone walls. And it was the first building that they constructed when they were building Fort Snelling, which went from 1820 to 1830. They built the Round Tower in 1820 as a defense. Okay. So what was sort of going on in Minnesota in 1820? I mean, why are they putting up this fort? Well, And it's the U.S. government that's putting it up. It's the U.S. government. So interestingly, they were putting up the fort to defend against the British because they had been at war with the British in the previous decade. So in addition to defending against the British, which, by the way, never happened, the fort was not attacked. Their other tasks included being a location for the fur trade and enforcing a border between Ojibwe and Dakota land, as well as keeping European-American settlers from settling on that land, which was illegal. But of course, some snuck in and did it anyway. Okay. And so the location, I mean, now we think of it, I mean, it's kind of harder to tell because there are some literal highways in this area. But the story points out that because it was at the Minnesota and Mississippi rivers, these are sort of the highways of that era, right? Right. They depended on rivers for transportation primarily and especially in the fur trade days. Okay. And we should just note that the place where Fort Snelling was built, and we've talked about this on a previous episode, but that was a, that's a sacred site. It still is for the Dakota people. And And in the Dakota creation story, the first Dakota man and woman were created there at what they called Bedote. And so the fact that Fort Snelling was there and that the U.S. government was later displacing Native Americans is a point worth making in the context of the location of this building. So this building was put up in 1820. I mean, how long is it sort of uh, a fort? I mean, or, or, or is it an active? You said the British never attacked. So is it sort of active for that whole time? It's kind of on and off over the years. So during the Civil War, the fort was reactivated as a place for training troops. They had about 
25,000 Minnesotans go through who then went on to fight in the Civil War. And in 1862, it was a launching spot for soldiers sent to fight in the U.S. war against the Dakota. Okay. So sort of the, to that point that we were just making about its uh, its location. Its location was outside of the area of the Dakota War itself, but many Native people after that war were subsequently imprisoned at the facility. Okay. And so um, it also plays a role in a very significant U.S. Supreme Court case, the Dred Scott decision. So Dred Scott was a slave who, what, he was brought to this area, which was not Minnesota at the time, but it was, uh, I think it was Louisiana territory and at, for a moment the Wisconsin territory, but he was brought here. So tell us a little bit about that story. Well, he was one of about 15 to 30 enslaved people who lived at the fort then, even though slavery was illegal in this area. And when was this? This would have been in the 1820s okay, and into the 30s. So slavery was illegal in this area, but nevertheless, some military officials and government officials and fur traders held slaves. Mm -hmm. Dred Scott and his wife were married actually in 1837 in the Round Tower itself. Hmm. And they later sued for freedom based on the fact that they had lived in this area where slavery was illegal and in Illinois where it also was illegal. The case eventually made it to the Supreme Court. The court did not buy their argument. And ultimately, it was part of what triggered the Civil War. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. So as we move on here, this building, this round tower ends up serving some interesting purposes. I mean, like hair salon? I guess I didn't see that one coming. But what happens to this building as as time moves on? It doesn't look like a typical hair salon, but an electrician (laughs) and his wife, who happened to be a stylist, lived in the round tower for a while. So it was a residence for people from time to time. And uh, the wife set up a hair salon in the building. Okay. And we have a picture of in the early 1900s, you know, maybe I think was in the name of progress, essentially. They like cemented over the whole building. I think the most amazing part of that, and there's an interesting picture of it, but there's the amazing part to me is that there's this backlash, right, about the fact that they put all the cement over the building. They put the cement up as part of a rehab project in 1904. But in 1905, newspapers complained that they were destroying the tower's historic significance. So mm-hmm. they took the cement back off. Like the War Department like, <laughs> had to take it off, right? They yeah, were ordered. that's right. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So interestingly that they would be that, you know, defensive of history back right. then. Yeah, I always love those kind of early examples of historic preservation. There's a couple that are out there, but it just sort of shows that people were thinking a little bit about this issue even long before we think of historic preservation becoming a big deal. And now on to our last very simple question, which is about how large does a lake need to be to qualify as a lake in Minnesota? And the answer is... 10 acres. We reached out to the Department of Natural Resources about this, and 10 acres is basically the definition that they use, and that means that there are 11,842 lakes in Minnesota. So land of 10,000 lakes or 11,842 lakes, depending on how you're counting. Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining us. These are super interesting stories. I'm going to link to both of them in the show notes, because especially with the Northwest Angle one, there's a lot more to that with the different borders, and so people can read more, see photos, and what have you. Well, thank Thanks for having me here, Eric. Okay, that's it for today's episode. Before we go, I just want to mention that the Star Tribune is looking for sponsors for this show. Do you know of an organization that would like to help support the Curious Minnesota podcast? Please send inquiries to advertising at startribune.com. And do you have a question you'd like to see us tackle at Curious Minnesota or feedback about this show? Send us a note at curious at startribune.com. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.